Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Um, let's take a moment to pray again. Lord, thank you for our morning together. Lord, an opportunity to worship you, to focus our attention on you. Lord, we ask now, we ask for Dick and his family as they grieve. Lord, I just pray that you would be with them, comforting and blessing them. But I pray you would teach us to be a family that comes to one another when one another, when we're in need. I know that many do a very good job of that here. I just pray you'd help us to excel still more. We're first a family and a community. And that's what, we're, that's what you have called us to, to be your family and to be brothers and sisters. Not an organization or anything else. That first and foremost. Help us to learn to be that always. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, reading this week Romans 2 and 3. Reminded me of why I've never taught through Romans. <laughs> it was like, wow! There is an awful lot of stuff in there, and it's, there's a lot of really good stuff. It's like, wow! I would encourage you to read those two. Just read them and think, wow! <laughs> Look at all that's in this, and where you could go, and how do you go, and what do you do, and... What is he saying and what is he not saying? And everybody disagrees and who am I? So what's going on in those chapters is it's kind of, Paul is having a debate with himself. So go ahead and read it this week and engage in the debate that he is having with those. I think of it as, now the technical term for it is an, he is speaking, speaking to an interlocutor. Look it up. <laughs> it was new to me. <laughs> so I looked it up. And I'm not going to... I think of it as Gollum. Remember in Lord of the Rings when Gollum had that conversation with himself? The good Gollum or the good Schmeagol and the bad Gollum. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He, there's question after question that he asks and answers. And, and there's this bad Gollum asking the question, the bad Paul... <laughs> <laughs> and then the good Paul answering the question. And the main issue is this. There's two things. Well, there's three things. What's so special about the Jews or Israel? What is so special about them? The second question is, um, who do you think you are? Why... Do you have such superior attitudes? And we could black that out, Patty, so that no one looks at this point. Thank you. <laughs> I've got a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of a control freak also. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, Cameron. Okay, the third thing is, what does Abraham have to say about Romans? So those are the three questions that Paul is discussion here, discussing here. Um, what I am going to do today is temporarily, 
well, not for a long temporary, I am going to close out this discussion about the weak and the strong until we get to chapter 14. And you're all saying, good, good riddance to it. Let's finish that off. Now, here's what's important. Both groups were trying to live faithful Christian lives. So Paul's not saying like one was bad and they're doing it all wrong. Both groups with really different opinions were trying to live faithful Christian lives. And they believed that they had scriptural evidence for their convictions. And they could go to the Bible and show where they got their convictions from. The specific concern was how to be faithful, how to be a faithful Christian in Rome. A city, empire, filled with idolatry, violence, and immorality. Now for the weak, the, that's the group of, made up of mostly Jewish Christians, but there would have been Gentile Christians and the one, also the ones who believed you needed to follow the law. For them, their attitude was to become separatist and protectionist. That was their view. The, the weak, and, and there's nothing, there's, we, need, we are separate, aren't we? The, the danger in that is to become an isolationist. For the strong, they were more, their view was to, in a view of engagement and participation. And that's important also, but the danger in that is to conform. There are three practical keys to the, Paul's solution to this problem of the weak and the strong. And we're gonna look at two of them today, the one next week, and the two today are identity and community. And next week, the third one in chapter four is mission. Those are the three things that we're gonna emphasize as we go through this deeply theological book. We're gonna go practical with it. So now we can go to the first slide, Patty, Romans 2. 17. There we go. It says, but, and, and so here's the question. Why do the Jewish Christians have attitudes of superiority? It's the first question Paul's going to deal with an answer. And um, it's important because there's reasons for it. They have legitimate reasons in one sense. We'll see that here in a second. They find their Jewish identity in Scripture. It says, but if you, so we go back last week, the you are the folks who are judging the Gentiles. That's who the you are here. So you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, 
and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness. There is so much scripture pulled out of this. A corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law an embodiment of knowledge and of truth. Now remember back to last week, we need to erase the word law in our brains. Because what do we think of? Policeman pulling you over for a speeding ticket. That this is Torah. This covenant between God and his people. I'm not sure that, you know, when the police pull you over for the speeding ticket, you say, well, you know, we have a covenant here. It's going to look at you know, like, what's wrong with this person? So here are the three reasons why they had superiority attitudes, which they should not have had, but where they come from. Go to the next slide, Patty. It all begins in Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9. This is a great verse. It's the John Farron's favorite verse. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided up humankind, this would have been like right around Tower of Babel. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the heavenly assembly. That would be the divine council. It's the word according to the Elohim, our word for God. So according to the gods. And then look at this. So he took, he divided, he took you know, the people at Babylon, he scattered throughout the world and just these different divine council, these Elohims, these spiritual beings, he gave them responsibility over these different nations, we might say. And then he says this, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, is the allotment of his inheritance. So the first reason they had superiority attitudes was they were the chosen people. They were. They were the elect. They were God's covenant people. You know, that can give you an attitude if you're not careful. And then the second thing is if we look in Romans 8, oops, I didn't put it up there. Okay, well, I have it here. Romans 8, 3, 1 and 2 says this, and what advantage has the Jew? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. See, it wasn't like, we think of the law, we think, oh, the law's bad. No, no, the law was a gift of grace to Israel. God entrusted them. He gave it to no other nation. Only the people of Israel received God's Torah. It made them distinct from all other people. So again, you have some, yeah, we can get how that might happen. And then the third thing is all of the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus were coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah. So, so they're like, well, you folks are just joining us. And then if... Back in the elders, he talked about, you know, you want to be the teachers and all of this stuff. What's, what's going on is 
the Jewish Christians were thinking, wait a minute, we were here long before you. We should be the ones running the show here. And there's some things that we think you all need to do. So Israel has this special relationship, but they misinterpreted the scope and the role of their privilege, and they became entitled. And they acted that way towards others in the church. Michael Gorman says this. Paul's answering this question about the Jews. He says this, they have the Torah, Jews have the oracles of God. Oracles suggest to say the oracles of God are Israel's scripture and they tell the story from creation to Messiah in Jesus from the calling of Israel to the inclusion of the Gentiles. And that story is one that reveals Israel's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness in their resolution in Jesus as Israel's Messiah. Israel, Israelites have been in on the mystery of God's plan all along from the very beginning, from Abraham. So there's an awful lot going on. They were judgmental because of this attitude of superiority. Judgmentalism, I'm quoting in another one from Michael Gorman, renders people incapable of rightly perceiving others themselves and God. That's really important. Judgmentalism renders us incapable of rightly perceiving other people and rightly perceiving ourselves. We think well, when we're judgmental, it causes us to think way too highly of ourselves and way too low of others, and totally thwart and misunderstand who God is. So what's happening is an identity issue. For these folks to thrive and participate in the church and function properly, their identity is going to have to be transformed. In chapter two, what Paul does is over and over again, he will um, continually repeat how both Jew and Gentile are sinners. They've all failed, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none who does righteous. You know, and he goes on through, there's none who understands, there's none who does good. He just goes through the whole thing, bringing this down on them. And then in the middle of this discussion about how everybody's lousy, is the next slide. He says this, for he is not a Jew, in verse 28, who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, 
And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So what he's saying is, actually, you're all Jews. You're all the same. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity, your ancestry, or your rituals. Those are not enough. It's about the heart. A heart of faith equalizes everyone. What Paul needs is trying to do is, is to get them to create a new and common identity, a shared identity, an in Christ identity. Now, chapter six through eight will explain, give us a theological foundation for an in Christ identity, so I'm not gonna talk about that today. Today, again, I want it to be practical, so I wanna look at how to help resolve this conflict in developing a common identity. Now, Rome and the Roman Empire and the Book of Romans is so relevant to us living in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, USA. It is just amazingly relevant. And there's two, there, we share much in common with Rome, two ways in particular. Our culture has many of the same flaws and sins as Rome's. So idolatry, violence, and immorality are the three big ones that we share in common. And Christians in our culture share some of the exact same problems as the Christians in Rome. Only it's not Jewish and Gentile. Our theological divides and superiority, judgmental, condemning attitudes come from different places, but they act exactly the same. They act exactly the same as they did in the church in Rome. We divide on how to relate to and engage with culture. Huge divide in the Christian church on that in so many ways, just like it was in Rome. We have our own versions of the weak and the strong, though our specific issues will vary. One of the great isms, last week we talked about idolatry and isms and how those are connected, and I did not mention this last week, but one of the great ones in our world and in where we live is, is um, individualism. We are, in America, are very self-oriented people. Anytime on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you want to look at, should reveal that. You know, everybody, I mean, identity is enormous. In our, and, and everyone is creating their own personal identity or personal brand. And the, the more unique the brand and the identity, the better. 
And that makes it hard for us to share a common identity. Just look at it in our nation. Do we have a common identity? Leave Christ out of it. No. Not even close. And let me say, it's not just a gender issue. If you're just thinking that, that's just a part of it. it identity so many different ways, and I'm not going to go into that. And, and I'm not saying we have a core identity. I'm not talking about that. It's these things we, you know, we are all made in the image of God. We are humans. We add all this stuff onto that and call it our identity. It's just stuff being added onto. So this also happens in the church. Back in the, I guess, 60s, 70s, and 80s, last week we talked about syncretism. Well, there was a, a syncretism issue with the church. The church started becoming a business. And, and, and there was all these books about church growth, and they were all business-oriented books. And there's fine with business. That not, that's all okay. But the church isn't a business first. It is a family first. Sure, it needs to have organization and all that. But as a business, what these seminars and books and churches started talking about was their personal distinctions from all the other churches. You had to know your distinctions as a church. And if you, it was just everywhere in Christianity. And then there was like your competitive advantages over the other churches. Your brand. And that's just, and that became your church identity, and that's just not kingdom stuff. That is not kingdom stuff. Last week after lunch, some of us were having a little conversation about the whole thing if we were forced to go to the same church, everyone in Cuyahoga Falls. And one of the individuals, I won't mention Henry's name, was, but that'd be amazing. <laughs> and then the rest of us thought, that'd be almost impossible. Because <laughs> the only way to do that is an in Christ identity only would work. And that would cause us to have to lay aside traditions, preferences, assumptions, and opinions. And nobody wants to lay those aside. Because that's who we are. And we'd have to focus on the basic aspects of the faith. Things that all Christians have in common. Think how small that list is going to be. That's right. That's right. Let me give some things that all Christians don't have in common. Style of worship service. Right? Definitely don't have all that in common. Leadership structure. Definitely. All churches and all Christians don't have that in common. Church organization. 
things like boards and committees and ministries and groups and Christian education and missions and all these organizational things we do. Oh, go to any, go to ten churches, you'll find ten different ways. And then fourth, and there's many more, but I just four sermon style and length. <laughs> Absolutely not in common. So, all that would have to be set aside if we wanted to gain an in-Christ common identity with all these churches. Now, that's brought into our little church because we are a very diverse people, right? We, we know that. And let me say this, all of us here, if we look at the close eye, which I know we all do, the way we do church, and this includes me, we'll find some things we would prefer to do differently. We all would. We are doing it that way because others prefer it that way. <laughs> That's why having a common identity is hard and why community is hard. It will always be that way in every church. That's, we are humans. It's what humans do best. <laughs> to build a common identity, we have to lay aside some of those things. All of us have to lay aside some of those things. Christian communities are all flawed and messy and at times painful. All communities of people are flawed, messy, and at times painful. That includes family. It includes even family. Dave Brenner, Dave Brenner, Dave Burnell, sorry Dave. <laughs> I scared them. <laughs> we were together for coffee on Thursday, and he paraphrased the misquoted Bonhoeffer to me. So I don't know how even close this is to Bonhoeffer, but I wrote it down. I thought, that's really good. <laughs> and he said this, the moment you reach the place of disappointment in a community is the first time you have truly encountered that community. Wow. I think that's really true because communities, people disappoint. Right? All of us, all of us offend. And all of us are offended. You will offend someone. And someone is offended by you. See, when we fully engage in a community, we really have to get involved in one another, and with that comes disappointment and offense. We also, Dave gave me this one too, but this one he sent me, so it all quoted properly. We can be way too idealistic and unrealistic about community. 
about Christian community. And Bonhoeffer writes this, and it was too long for me to put up there. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because he makes the dreamer proud, it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. To focus on an in Christ identity, which we'll look at in 6.8, let me give a couple of practical things in closing that we can do. These are really basic. And we could just go back to our teaching in Acts, because this will come from Acts 2.42. Things that all churches have in common, all Christians have in common. The apostles' teaching, the Bible. I guess if it's a Christian church, it has the Bible. Maybe some don't. But to be a Christian church, we have to have the Bible. And we have to be discussing, teaching, and talking about the Bible. Second, fellowship. And, and that would be partnering and doing life together. Breaking of bread, remembering the Lord's death and resurrection till he comes, and prayer. There's four things that all churches have in common. Now, I would say one in two, we're doing pretty well, and we could excel still more. Then I would say, number three, breaking of bread, we're doing well. Maybe we need to do it more. Maybe we need to find ways of doing it, like in small groups, in our homes, or just gathering with people, and making it a part of our normal life together beyond just the Sunday morning time. And the prayer thing, I think we're really good at doing it personally. And like we talked about when we did this in Acts, not as good at doing it corporately. And God would have us improve that. And then the fifth thing is Acts talks about having all things in common, common or sharing with those in need. Five things we can do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We just ask that you would teach us how to be the kind of community that has a shared identity. <clears throat> common identity that is found only in Christ because it cannot be found outside of him. Thank you. We ask, Lord, 
Help us to take this with us, to live in a way that is pleasing to you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing another song together. Corporately.
So the service is over. If you need to get up and go, feel free to do that. But we can have a time of discussion. And so maybe I'm going to stand up and stretch for a second, if you would like. You don't have to.